Thanks so much, Mikey. And family, I got some great news, and I got a new challenge for you. First off, the great news. We asked you guys to be giving towards the Thanksgiving Compassion Fund over the past month to support persecuted churches in Vietnam who we were partnered with and help them reach their neighborhoods. And I just found out that you guys gave $11,250.34. That is awesome. Can we just praise the Lord for his goodness through you? Your generosity is really amazing. And that money is going to go to those churches, directly to those churches, to help them reach their neighbors, primarily through a program called Global Fingerprints, which helps them connect with kids in their neighborhoods who have very tangible needs. Um, our team that we sent last summer helped put on an event for some of those Global Fingerprints kids. And th there's a picture of it. These kids are getting assistance with food, with clothing, with education. And uh, the great thing about this is that these churches are not just reaching kids, they're reaching whole families. So while this event was going on, they were also doing a parenting seminar for the parents, and we got a picture of that too. So they're reaching whole families with the gospel in a country where less than 0.7% of the population believes the gospel. And it's your generosity that's making that possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing God to work through you and your generosity. And we want to keep that ball rolling. We want to keep the generosity going through what we call the Christmas Conspiracy. That's what we got coming over the next month. Every Christmas we do this, the Christmas Conspiracy, where we challenge our church to give and receive less stuff at Christmas, all right? We don't really need all the stuff we give and receive during Christmas. We don't need it. So our challenge is give and receive less so that we can give and be generous towards others. And we sponsor a different ministry every year. This year, we're going to be supporting the ministry of Harbor Waipahu. Uh, since they launched in August, they've been meeting in a tiny little conference room at a mortgage company. They're in uh, kind of Waipio area of Waipahu. But their vision has always been to be in the heart of Waipahu. And we're stoked that just a couple weeks ago, they were able to sign a lease on a retail space right in the heart of Waipahu, right on Depot Road, right on the 94 block. Yeah, we are praising God for that. Uh, it was an office before, and so they've got to do a lot of renovations. We've got a picture of the space here. There's the outside and then some of the inside that they're renovating, doing a little demo on right now. They're going to use that space for Sunday worship on the weekends, and then also they're going to be opening up that space through the week for after-school programs for Waipahu High School students. They're already developing relationships at Waipahu High School, and they want to build on those. They need $50,000 to do the renovations and make this space usable, and we want to help them do that. So over the next month, if you go on the Harbor app, go on the Harbor website, hit Give, hit Honolulu, and then hit Christmas Conspiracy. There's a few steps. You can remember it. Hit Christmas Conspiracy. You can give, or you can just drop a check in the offering box, put Christmas on it. It'll find its way to the right place. We just want to be generous towards others this Christmas out of the generosity that God showed towards us on the very first Christmas, right? That's what we're celebrating this month, is the incredible gift that God gave us when he sent his son to us. We're celebrating how God became one of us, how Jesus, the creator, took on the nature of his creation, how our glorious God took on inglorious humanity. Over the past few months, we've been in the book of Revelation, and we've <clears throat> seen 
the glory of Jesus in a powerful way. All through this book, we've been seeing the divinity of Jesus, the power, the glory of Jesus. We've heard the angels and the saints in heaven singing praise songs, these epic songs about how he's worthy to receive praise and honor and glory and power. And we heard why he's worthy. Revelation 5, they said, it's because you were slaughtered. That's why you're worthy to receive honor and praise and glory, because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood. That's why Jesus is worthy of honor, because he purchased us by his blood, because he saved us by his blood. Now, here's the thing. In order for Jesus to save us by his blood, he had to be both fully God and fully man. We know that. Fully God and fully man. If he wasn't God, if he was only a man, then his death would have been nice. It would have been inspiring, just like a lot of martyrs who've died over the years. It could inspire us, but it couldn't save us if Jesus was just a man. If Jesus was only God, his death would be inspiring. It would be nice, but it would only be symbolic because it's man that rebelled against God, so it's man who has to pay the penalty for that. Jesus had to be fully divine and fully human. Over the past few months, we've been focused in the book of Revelation on the divinity of Jesus. But we wanted to take a quick little break from that book over the Christmas season and focus on the humanity of Jesus that you see in the Gospels. And especially what his humanity means for us as his followers. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 about Jesus. It says Jesus had to be like his brothers. You know who his brothers are? You and me. He had to be like his brothers in every way so that he, be, he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So Jesus became a man so that he could atone for us. That's the first, that's the most important thing that Jesus accomplished. But then it says Jesus became a man so that he could help us. And that's present tense. Did you see that? He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able right now to help us because he became like us in every way. And he is still like us. Jesus became permanently human. Permanently. That's something that still amazes me every time I think about it. Every year around Christmas time, I'm always reminded Jesus became human, and that was a permanent decision. I didn't always realize that. When I was a kid growing up, you know, we'd go to Christmas services, and I would hear about how Jesus became a man. And then a few months later, we'd go to Easter services, and I'd hear about how Jesus died and then rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And so I just had it in my mind that Jesus came to earth and lived for 33 years or so as a man, but then as soon as he could, he skedaddled out of here and got back to heaven where he really wanted to be. Like he came to earth just to get his stuff over with that he had to do, and he became a man for however long he needed to, but then he got back to being God, which is what he really wanted to be. Just getting it over with as soon as possible. Kind of like going to Walmart the weekend before Christmas. I don't know if you've ever had to do that. It is a war zone, let me tell you. Don't do it if you have any opportunity. Sometimes, though, you just need something, and you're like, all right, nowhere else but Walmart is going to have this. So i got to go to Walmart the weekend before Christmas. Man, you just got to put your head down, 
Get your stuff and get out of there. You're going to run over a few little old aunties with your wagon. That doesn't matter. You don't got time to look and see if they're okay. You just got to keep going and get out of there as soon as you can. That's the idea that I had about Jesus. He came, he did what he needed to do, and then he got over, got it over with. He became a human, then he wiped his forehead and said, man, I'm glad I'm finished with that. That's the idea that I had, but that's not at all what Scripture says. Later in Hebrews, it says that Jesus will always be our high priest. Always. You know what that means? He'll always be one of us. He'll always be human. He is still human. He's still got a human body. Did you think about that? It's a resurrected body, but he's still human. Which means Jesus is still able to understand us, still able to sympathize with us, still able to help us. Because he's still one of us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the different ways that he became one of us. This week, we're going to be zeroing in on the fact that he became, first of all, a child. That is so significant. If you've got your Bible, open to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're really going to be focusing our attention this morning. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be asking, what does it mean that Jesus became a child? Why did God become a little baby? I mean, he didn't have to, right? God created Adam as a full-grown full man. He could have come to earth, and Jesus could have been a full-grown man. He could have showed up, preached a few sermons, healed a few people, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, bing, bang, boom, would have been done with it. But he didn't do it that way. Why not? Well, how could we follow Jesus' footsteps as a man if we didn't see him crawl as a child? How could we believe that he faced every temptation we do if we didn't see him wrestle with every temptation that we face at every stage of life? How could we learn to depend on our Heavenly Father if we didn't see Jesus depend on his Heavenly Father and his earthly parents? Jesus, the child, he's got a lot to teach us. So let's pray, and we'll dig into Luke chapter 2. Father, thank you for this season that reminds us that you became one with us and became one of us. It's an amazing reality that we should never stop being amazed at. Thank you that you left your glory in heaven, your rights and privileges in heaven to come take on the unglorious nature of your creation so that you could sympathize with us, help us, and ultimately atone for us on the cross and lead us into perfect life along with you. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to appreciate Jesus more and more today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in a few weeks, on Christmas weekend, we'll get the story of Jesus as a baby. Don't worry about that. We'll get that. We'll cover that. But today, we're going to fast forward a little bit to Jesus as a child. Jesus is a 12-year-old child, just on the verge of becoming an adult. So we're looking at Luke 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 41. Luke 2, 41. It says this. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. So first thing, first thing we see is that Joseph and Mary are faithful to the law of Moses. 
Every year they celebrate the Passover. They celebrate God's gift to them through the Passover. Every year they join God's people in Jerusalem at the temple. And so they're teaching their kids. They're teaching Jesus to do the same thing. Joseph and Mary are teaching Jesus to love God and love others. Keep going in verse 43. It says, after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. They travel a whole day before they realize Jesus isn't with us. This is Home Alone, the prequel, is what we're seeing right here. Imagine traveling a whole day and then realizing you forgot your kid, okay? How far can you get in a day? These days, we, we could fly to Rome in a day, right? A couple connections, you could be in Rome in less than 24 hours. So imagine going on vacation in Rome, bringing your kids, getting on the flight back home, and then realizing once you touch down in Honolulu, oh, wait, we forgot 12-year-old Bobby at the Vatican. Oh, that's right. We, we left him there. Imagine that. Now, here's the thing. You would only let 12-year-old Bobby run around by himself at the Vatican if you had a lot of confidence in him, right? If you believed that he was a responsible 12-year-old kid. If your kid's irresponsible, you're not going to let him out of your sight if you're in a foreign place, right? So, Right away, we know Jesus is not irresponsible. He's not being irresponsible by, by letting his parents go off and him staying behind. He's using good judgment staying behind at the temple. He's got a purpose for what he's doing. And here it is, in verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Yeah, because Jesus is from Nazareth. And Nazareth, it's a little like, like Molokai, you know, small. There's no stoplights on the island of Molokai, only a few people. It's hard to get to Molokai, hard to get out of Molokai, and Nazareth was the same. Little, little hard to get to, little out of the way. There's no universities, no seminaries in Nazareth. There's no visiting scholars who come to Nazareth. There's probably one very part-time rabbi who's primarily a farmer, but then once a week he tries to teach the people a little bit at synagogue. And this bro, he can probably barely read. That's all they've got in Nazareth. And so now that Jesus is in Jerusalem, now, now that he's got the opportunity to learn from real biblical scholars, he's going to seize that opportunity. He's not going to let go of that opportunity. So you can see this isn't some 12-year-old kid just kind of coasting on the faith of his parents. This is a 12-year-old kid about to become an adult, a young adult, who has developed an incredible faith of his own. Remember, Jesus, he's living his life primarily as a human. He's willingly set aside a lot of what it means to be divine, like knowledge, a few other things, powers in some way. Jesus is living primarily as a human, and, and so he is developing his own faith as he grows. So much so that it says in verse 47. Look at verse 47. All those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Not because he's pulling the God card and wowing them with everything he knows because he's lived for eternity. 
because he's learned all of these things. He's developing this amazing faith. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Yeah, anxiously. You know Mary was terrified because she's from a town of like 100 people and they've lost their boy in a city of 100,000 people. They're searching for days and days for him. Lost, there's a, they've lost God. I mean, imagine that. You get stressed when you lose your phone. Imagine losing God, all right? This is a little stressful here. But verse 49, Jesus said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. She treasured these things in her heart because she's learning from her 12-year-old kid right now. There's so much to learn from Jesus, even as a 12-year-old child. Like first, Jesus honored his earthly parents. What an incredible thing to think about. He's God, but he's dependent and he's obedient on Joseph and Mary. First of all, he's gladly following them to Jerusalem every year. And then, when he wants to stay in Jerusalem and do his own thing, but they come and get him, he gladly follows them back to Nazareth, even though they're dragging him away from this seminary-level education that he really wants to do. You can tell by the fact that he's not complaining. That's not what he's doing here. He's not arguing. He, he's explaining his motivation, and then he's just obeying. You, you can tell he's just enjoying the honoring of his father and mother. He enjoys honoring his father and mother, even though he is perfect and they're not. Right? Mary, right here in this story, you can tell she's getting frustrated with Jesus, even though he's sinless. You think this is the only time that's happened? I guarantee you there's plenty of time that Mary has yelled at Jesus even though he's done nothing wrong. I guarantee you there's plenty of times Joseph has swore when he hit his thumb with a hammer, right? His parents, Jesus' parents, they're not perfect, but he enjoys honoring them. He's depending on them. He's obeying them. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, although Jesus was the Son, the Son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And not just what he suffered on the cross. He's talking about what he suffered through all of life, at every stage of life. He was the son of God. He's the eternal member of the triune Godhead, but still he suffered when he permanently became human. And he learned obedience through that suffering at every stage of life, starting when he was a baby. Babies, think about what we do when we are babies. Three things is all we do. We eat, we cry, we poop. That's all we do when we're babies, right? God, the creator God, became a poop machine when he became a baby. And then he became a toddler. What do toddlers do? We spill our drinks. We make messes in our room. You think Jesus never spilled his drink? You think Jesus never made a mess? When we're kids, we start figuring out that there's foods that we don't like. 
family, Jesus had taste buds. You think he liked every food on earth? I'm not sure. When we're teenagers, we get pimples, we get bad breath, we get body odor. You think Jesus never smelled? You really think so? Man, Jesus suffered at every stage of life. He suffered just being part of that family. They were one of the poorest families in one of the poorest countries in the world. When Mary and Joseph went to dedicate Jesus at the temple, it says they could only afford to give two birds. That's the bare minimum that you could give as an offering at the temple. They were dirt poor. They had to go be refugees in Egypt a couple of years after that. And so through all of that suffering, Hebrews says Jesus learned obedience. Not that he was disobedient and then he learned to be obedient, but that he learned to obey his earthly parents more deeply and more gladly over time. He learned to obey his heavenly father more deeply and more gladly over time. And so that's the second thing we can learn from this 12-year-old kid. Jesus honored his heavenly father. You see that really clearly in this story. Depending, obeying God. Because when Mary says, your father and I, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, what does Jesus say? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? My father's house? He loves and honors and obeys his adopted dad, Joseph. But he's come to realize who his real dad is. Twelve years of dependence on his earthly parents have led him to this really significant dependence on his heavenly father. And so if you read the rest of the Gospels, you see that theme for the next 21 years of his life. Over and over. You see Jesus always depending on his heavenly father for everything. Even goes so far as to say in John 5, truly I tell you the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. Jesus doesn't do anything unless he sees the father leading him in that direction. And so that's why you see Jesus always going off by himself to pray. So he can spend time with the Father. In his book on prayer, Paul Miller says, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who ever lived. It's a striking statement, but it is so true. Jesus is the most dependent human being who ever lived. He can't do life on his own, and so he prays and prays and prays. And all of that started when Jesus was a child. He learned to depend on his earthly parents, and that led him towards increasing dependence on his heavenly Father. How did he learn to do all of that? Through suffering, through his parents, through the Spirit of God. That's what the, the Gospel of Luke really emphasizes over and over again through the life of Jesus. And then also through the Word of God. That's really clear in this story that we just read. You can tell just listening to Jesus at the temple, watching Jesus at the temple, that Jesus had this insatiable appetite for God's word. He's learning, he's listening, he's asking questions, he's engaging. He's studying, digging deep into God's word. And one of the books that he would have studied as he was growing up is the book of Proverbs. So over the next few weeks, as we look at Jesus living everyday life as a human, we're going to look at the book in the Bible that most directly deals with everyday life as a human. That's the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs was written by King Solomon to his son to help him navigate the dangers and the opportunities of everyday life. And so look at what Solomon said to his son in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, Solomon said, My son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Family, this is the kind of wisdom that Jesus learned obedience from. And so we can learn obedience in the same way. We want to be like Jesus. We want to imitate Jesus. How can we do that? Here's number one. Honor our parents, just like Jesus. Honor our parents. Like Solomon said to his son, don't forget my teaching. It's interesting how he says that. Let your heart keep my commands. He doesn't say God's commands. He says my commands. He's assuming that God's commands are going to flow through him to his son so that his son can honor him, respect him. And so that's how Jesus learned to honor his father and mother. Right there. That's how he learned to do his chores and finish his homework. That's how, how he learned to listen to what his parents said and not argue. And fam, this isn't just for kids. When Solomon wrote to his son to follow my commands, his son was an adult at that point. When Jesus preached, honor your father and mother, he was preaching to adults at that point. So, Honoring father and mother isn't just for kids. It's for all of us. Our parents, they're not perfect. They might be as good and great and godly as Mary and Joseph. They might not be at all, but they were given to us by God. And so we honor them. We honor them. As adults, we can honor our parents through affirmation. That's one great way to honor your parents. Affirm them. Because no, your parents aren't perfect, but they were created in the image of God. And so there is some aspect of God's image that is visible in them somewhere. No matter how great or terrible your parents are, you can find something to affirm in them. You can speak well of your parents. You can speak well of your parents in law, especially when they're not around, especially to your kids. That's one way we can honor our parents, through affirmation. We can also honor our parents through our deference. Deference towards them because they've got preferences and rituals and routines and we've developed different preferences and rituals and routines since we moved out of their house but we can show our honor to them by giving up our own preferences especially around Christmas time. This is a great time of year where we can defer to them and their preferences and routines and rituals. Honor through deference. We can also honor our parents through our service, the way we bless them, the way we serve them, not by waiting for dad to grab the check when we go out to dinner, right? Man, I'm almost 50 years old. I still just kind of default to waiting for dad to pick up the check when we go to dinner. How dumb is that? When I'm at my parents' house for Christmas dinner or whatever, I just kind of default to waiting for my mom to pick up my plate from the table. I, I still feel like I'm 16 years old for some reason. What a knucklehead, man. We need to honor our parents by serving them, blessing them as much as we can. 
just like Jesus did. Honor our parents. And then the next way we can imitate Jesus is to teach our kids. Teach our kids. Because Solomon, he wrote the whole book of Proverbs to teach his son. Jesus, he didn't have biological sons, but he had 12 Hanai sons. We call them the disciples. And he spent three years teaching them. So whether we got biological kids or Hanai kids of any age, we can influence them towards knowing God and trusting God and obeying God because no matter how much our kids succeed in life, we know they're never going to be fully happy. They're never going to be truly fulfilled unless they've got Jesus. We know that. The host of my community group knows that. She raised two very successful sons, very successful in their careers. And so whenever I talk to her about how she raised her kids, I'm always asking, you know, what did, what did you do and, and to, to raise these kids? Whenever I ask her, she says exactly the same thing. As long as they love the Lord, that's all that matters. Every time, that's what she says. As long as they love the Lord, that's all that matters. Now, what a great perspective. We've got to teach our kids to love the Lord more than anything else in life because that's what's going to make them truly happy. And parents, the best way that we can teach that is to live it out, to model it. So the third way we can imitate Jesus is to depend on our Heavenly Father for everything, just like Jesus did. Just like Solomon said. Remember what he said? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jesus expanded on that when he taught. He said it this way. He said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Relate to God like a little child relates to his parents. Little kids, they're dependent on their parents for everything. Right? And that's the kind of dependence that God wants from us. So what that means is we're going to have to take a long, hard look at all of the other things that we depend on in life besides God. Like, maybe you depend on status and respect. How much do you pay attention to the number of likes that you get on your posts? How salty do you get when your boss gives you a performance review, probably coming up this month or next month, and that performance review is less than fully positive? How salty do you get about that? Yeah, we depend on our status and depend on respect. Maybe you depend on your talents and abilities. How upset do you get when you fail at something? How much does that just ruin your day, your week? On the flip side, how jealous do you get when one of your friends succeeds at something? Oh, that one hurts, right? We depend on our talents and abilities. Maybe you depend on your money and possessions. How anxious do you get when your bank account balance dips below a certain level? There's always a certain level that we've got that we're like, oh, man, I don't like it. How many corners are you willing to cut to make a few extra dollars? Yeah, we depend on a lot of things in life rather than depending on God. A lot of things, which is why Solomon's words should be taped to our bathroom mirrors scribbled on a post-it note so we can see it every morning when we wake up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
know him. Know him. Maybe your translation says acknowledge him. Your translation's terrible, all right? The true sense of this word is know him. Don't just acknowledge him. Yeah, yeah, he exists. Know him, and he'll make your paths straight. Know him. You might know a few things about him. You might know a few facts about him. But you probably know a bunch of facts about your favorite quarterback. You probably know a bunch of facts about your favorite movie star or artist. That doesn't mean you know them. If we're going to know somebody, the only way you get to know them is to spend time with them. It's the only way it happens. And so that's why we had the Bible challenge this year. We wanted to spend a significant amount of time with God every day. And so we did that by digesting significant chunks of his word every day. And we want to build on that coming up in the new year. Uh, in 2022, we went fast, man. We screamed through the Bible. We covered a lot of God's word. We covered, covered all of God's word in a year. In 2023, we want to slow down a little bit. Well, a lot. We want to meditate on God's word. Pray through God's word respond to God's word. So we've got a new devotional challenge we're going to be launching in uh, beginning of 2023. We're going to build on the lessons that we're learning in this series from Proverbs. And we're going to take just one verse a day out of the Proverbs, just one verse a day, and meditate on that all through the day. We've got a book that's going to guide us through it. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It's called God's Wisdom for Navigating Life by a great pastor in New York City called Tim Keller. And uh, every day, this book will guide us through, we'll read one verse, we'll get a few thoughts on that passage, we'll get one application question to kind of help us apply it to our lives, and then one prompt that'll lead us into prayer, so we can really respond to God's Word by communing with God. That's the best way to pray, is just pray God's Word back to Him and let them flow through you and kind of marinate in your soul. You can get a hardback copy of this book out of the bookstore right as you leave, it's only Five bucks, all right? What a deal. Crazy deal we, we're giving you, all right? Five bucks for a great hardback book that'll last you the rest of your life. You can use it however long you want. Because family, this is how we get to know God. This is it. By spending time with God. And that is how we learn to depend on God for everything, just like Jesus did. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. Know him. And he will make your path straight. Let's pray together. Father, what an incredible opportunity. What a, what a crazy privilege we have that we get to know you. We don't deserve that. We've sinned against you millions of different ways. We spent so much of our lives in rebellion against you. And yet you sent your son to live a perfect life for us, to die on the cross for us, to rise from the grave for us, and then to reign lovingly over us and empower us through the Holy Spirit so that we can know you, truly know you. Thank you for Jesus and all he made possible. Thank you that he came and became one of us, one with us. First of all, so he could atone for us, save us, but then also 
so he can help us every single day of our lives. Help us to lean on Jesus, our high priest who sympathizes with us in every way because he's like us in every way still to this day. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.